Welcome to Web of Tomorrow. I'm Adam Garrett-Harris, and this week we've got Mark Krenz, creator of CLI Magic, which is a Twitter account all about cool Unix, Linux, command line tricks, and uh, stuff like that. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, I kind of mentioned what it is, but what is CLI Magic and how did it start? So it is a Twitter account, like you mentioned, uh, for inspiring people to use the command line more and to see what's available. Um, it got started back in 2009 when I just realized that you know this Twitter thing was coming along, becoming popular, and uh, I had a lot of commands that I was running as a system administrator and um, just as a, a Linux hobbyist and and I thought that, you know, I should share some of this. I, I, and it would be interesting to try to fit the, uh, the commands and maybe a description into 140 characters. Um, it presents kind of a challenge for trying to see what you can possibly do within uh, those constraints. And a lot of the, you know, there were a couple other accounts out there like that. Uh, but mostly they would post links to, um, like, blogs. Like Command Line Foo is a website that uh, I would frequent that had lots of good command line tips, but then their Twitter account would just link back to the the uh, the web page, and I thought it might be more interesting if you know you we could post the commands directly into the Twitter feed so you can see them right in your client, and people seem to like that. That's cool. So what uh, what's the format for the tweets? Right. So. Um, Generally, as as much as I'm able to format like this, I put uh, the command itself and then a hash character like the you know shift three, the number sign or pound, octothorpe, whatever you want to call it, uh, and then the description. Um, so like just it, sometimes it's just one word. Sometimes you know I'm able to fit a whole sentence. Um, so the I use the hash character because it's you know a comment character in the shell and it's uh, less likely to be used anywhere else in most commands. Um, and if you were to copy the entire tweet uh, to the command line, you, you could actually run the command, and then the description would be saved as just a comment in your command line history. Uh, sometimes I don't have, you know, I, I fit like this, some kind of crazy command, and I use every single uh, character I can of the 140 limit, and I don't have it. I don't have any room left for a description, so um, it's either just run it at your at your own risk, or uh, or I'll reply back and and post a description as a as a follow up or something. Okay, cool. So yeah, I like how you don't start it with a dollar sign or a prompt. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I see that online, and it, I think that can be kind of confusing to people uh, if you if you're not familiar with it. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you go to different documentation for uh, various sites, some of them will have their own way of quoting or, or um, indicating uh, where a command starts. And you have to know, you know, don't actually input the uh, greater than sign or the dollar sign or, or something like that. Uh, and they might have to explain it. And then, you know, even in man pages, you have um, a little syntax indicators for you know what's a required option what's an optional option and so on okay cool so you, you mentioned man pages why don't you go ahead and explain what that is and um ways to get help right and please ask me if i if i mentioned something that 
that could use a better description because you know I talk about this all the time and I yeah. kind of forget. <laughs> for for beginners, it can be a little daunting. Um, so man pages are the short for manual pages. Uh, they were something that was uh, invented by Bell Labs along with Unix for documenting uh, the various programs on a Unix system. Um, there's eight different chapters plus a couple of extra chapters on some systems. And the chapter one is all about like user commands, you know, the commands that you commonly run like LS, RM, uh, DF, and, and the different commands like that. And so this is just a single page of uh, documentation. So if you run like man space ls you're, and hit enter, you're going to be put into a, um, a pager program like less or more. And it'll show you, uh, it'll start out with just a, a short description of what the command is and what it's for. And then give you uh, information about, you know, what options it can take, what arguments it can take, uh, different ways you can use it, and so on, and maybe bugs and who wrote it. So it provides you with a single page documentation that you can search through and look through. Some of the man pages can get quite large, you know, like in the tens or maybe even hundreds of pages. Um, hmm. So that's one way of getting documentation. Another way is just to, uh, well, the other. The other way on um, on GNU systems. So GNU is the the organization that um, created, you know, this the GNU uh, GNU's not Unix. They set out to create a, a free Unix clone, mm -hmm. uh, but they in the end they ended up writing a lot of uh, software that got adopted by other systems like Linux, um, and they had their own way of documenting uh, programs called info pages which are you basically get put into like an Emacs editor user interface and you can do hot links within the, the documentation. Uh, it has a bit of a steeper learning curve to learn how to use it, but uh, some of their official pages are actually kept in info pages and then they get translated into man pages, like the tar command actually. Its official uh, documentation is in the info page. Okay, okay. So I was about to ask how you know which one you can use, but you can... Sounds like you can pretty much always use man, and sometimes yeah. you can use info. Yeah, well, I mean, it's more of man pages are almost always made available from the info pages. So yeah. if you have to default to one, you're probably going to use a man page. But on some of the man pages, they haven't filled out all of the options and all of the documentation. And if you want the complete documentation, you might have to go to the info page. But in reality, I've rarely encountered a case where I had to uh, look at the info page for the documentation. Okay. Okay. So you said um, man uses a pager and can you explain what a pager is really quick? Right. So a pager is, uh, you know, like on old DOS systems, you would run dir space slash p to show the output one page at a time. That way you didn't see all of it at once and just have to use your your scroll uh, bar or something to move back and forth. A pager is just a program that just shows you a page at a time. And also more advanced pagers like less let you search backwards and forwards and do different operations within within the, the text that you're looking at. Cool. So I'm actually curious about you said info uses sort of Emacs. Is it actually is it actually inside of Emacs? 
Uh, I've never checked actually, okay. but it, it, it's basically an Emacs uh, uses Emacs keystrokes and and um, it looks it looks like Emacs, so I imagine it is based on on Emacs. Uh, right now, there's people listening that are probably, you know, being like, "You don't know? Well, I don't I don't use info pages all that much." And yeah. honestly, I think if you ask most people, they don't use info pages all that much. Uh, yeah, but it's just you know, because man pages are usually always there and and they work pretty well. Yeah, and then it um, seems sometime, like it seems like less uh, less is the page that I use. It, it uses a lot of Vim shortcuts, right? Or VI right. shortcuts, I should say. Right, um, right. I mean, almost all the yeah. So so many of the keystrokes in inside less are based on VI shortcuts. Um, you can even switch over to editing mode within less and end up trying to edit a man page huh. if you hit the. If you hit the right key or the wrong key, depending on on what you do. Nice. Okay, so what what channels of communication do you have besides Twitter? Right. So uh, Twitter was the first one. Uh, I create a YouTube channel a bit later, um, which is where I I post. Basic. I I make a. You know, I'll make a video that explains a concept a lot more or delves into some concept or shows something that's visual that I uh, I need to show. Um, I've done a variety of different things. Uh, there was one where I, I explained how a, uh, a MIDI file works, and mm-hmm. I, I showed how I could make my own MIDI file using a binary editor, and I was able to fit a, uh, a MIDI music file within a tweet and the decoder for it as well uh, <laughs> once. And it was uh, the Halloween theme from uh, the movie Halloween. And I posted on, on Halloween. So it was, you know, kind of a holiday uh, uh, thing to post. And uh, another one where, you know, a, a popular one where I showed how I watched uh, the Super Bowl over a Netcat stream. Um, that was, you know, that required me to show it in a video and, and I needed to do a lot of explaining for that. Um, how that came about was that we, um, we had a server room where we had a, a setup for recording, uh, television closed caption data. And so we had, you know, several of these servers, uh, that were set up with TV tuners, uh, that all ran Linux. And if I wanted to, I could basically, uh, just run like the cat program to, to send the output of a file to the terminal. Mm-hmm. And I could just cat out slash dev slash video zero, and that would show me what was on the television. But I would have to pipe that into an R program like um, M Player or FFmpeg or something like that. So in the video, I was able to show how I could uh, cat the the video out to an SSH connection, or actually I did it to a Netcat hmm. uh, connection, and then that sent the data over the network to my house. And then on the other side, I, I ran Netcat and I piped that into mPlayer, and I was able to watch the video. And it was basically streaming the video over the over the Netcat connection. And I in there I talk about different things that I could do, like uh, use the T command as kind of a digital video recorder and stuff. So I mean, huh. the power you know uh, the power of Unix is that you can uh, take the output of one program and pipe it to the input of of another program and um, since a lot of the different programs act as filters or can do operations on the data, you have a lot of uh, flexibility in what you can do. Um, and then on on top of the YouTube channel, I uh, there's 
Um, there's the CLI Magic uh, channel on Freenode IRC. Uh, I don't know where you happen to use IRC or people listening use IRC Internet Relay Chat. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a place where I, you know, I confide in the wisdom of others and, and talk to people who are also CLI Magic followers and interested in the command line. Uh, sometimes I'll bounce ideas off of them or they'll give me ideas and I, I try to credit them as much as possible. Uh, it has about like 50 people on there and it's kind of come and gone over the years. Um, and then uh, it's also become a place where people have gone just to talk to other people about, uh, you know, they have a question about how to do something. And the nice thing about that channel is that it doesn't, you know, it's not specific to one shell or one distribution of Linux or even one Unix. It's just all about command line usage. So, it, you know, there's not any discrimination or anything that happens there. It's just whatever you choose to use is okay. So we can kind of talk about the command line in a more general sense uh, there, which there might not be another channel like that. You know, a lot of them are, are specific to a shell like Bash or ZSH or, or yeah. something like that. And then there's the CLI Magic website, climagic.org or .com, uh, where I have a few links to do uh, other resources, uh, a book you can um, that's good for beginners, and uh, some files that I've created over the years. I have like a cool stuff directory and and different things. There's also a, a uh, magic lights show so you can you can go to lights.climagic.com and you can start up a, this little video and uh, you can click on the little led lights and you can control them or you can use command line commands to actually control the lights and those are lights that are at my house on a shelf and i have a webcam set up and i, I explain more about that on the site yeah and, yeah uh, i went and played around with that the other day yeah <laughs> It actually was broken here recently because I accidentally unplugged the Raspberry Pi that it was hooked up. I didn't realize that it was turned off. Oh. So sometimes stuff like that happens. <laughs> so why magic? Why is it CLI magic? Well, yeah, this is kind of funny. So it's it's basically because uh, it's really not magic. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of based on the old saying that... Um, you know, any, any, it's Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke's uh, third law, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So, you know, over the years, you encounter people who know how to use the command line uh, in a way that just uh, is awe-inspiring. You look at them and, and you're like, how did you do that? You know, you, you're surprised and shocked that they're able to do something uh, so complex with just a few uh, keystrokes or a few commands. And it seems like magic, and it seems like something that's not learnable, but it is learnable. And, and I'm trying to inspire people to uh, to learn more about it and to see that it is learnable. It's not it's not magic. So it's it's kind of a you know reverse uh, psychology there. I I feel like um, you know the human brain has such a great capacity for for learning things and storing information uh, that so many of us take for granted and don't exercise frequently enough. And I, I feel like people, you know, everybody wants to, for computers to be easy to use. Um, and it's not that the command line is, is necessarily hard to use. It's just that you have to practice it. You know, it's like learning a language. You, uh, you wouldn't say that, I mean, I guess you would say that 
languages like Russian or, or Swahili might be hard to hard to learn or Chinese. But if you have a need to use it, you take the time to, to learn how to uh, speak the language. So Unix is kind of like that. And uh, I probably have a, a file someplace where I was brainstorming over names. And I, I finally came to that when I thought that CLI Magic was a good uh, mix between, you know, being short enough uh, that wasn't and being easy to remember. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned having a need to use the command line. What what are some example reasons why someone might want to use the command line? So my reason stemmed out of being uh, working at an internet service provider and being a, a system administrator. Um, for other people, it could be a variety of things. They need to work with a lot of data. Uh, programmers might want to, you know, use a, a text editor like Vim or, or Emacs or Atom or Nano or whatever and, and use the Git uh, software for um, managing their source code or, or some other source uh, code repository software. Um, scientists use it for, uh, you know, parsing uh, their their research data. They they find the, the command line programs for... Um, you know, just grep or awk or uh, sed or um, the R programming language or different things um, and graphing. You know, I mean, there's, there's it's kind of limitless as to what you can do. Um, I wouldn't say it's it's great for everything. I mean, some people might be surprised to hear that I, you know, I don't use the command line for everything. I'm an avid user of, of programs like GIMP and Blender and Audacity and, you know, a web browser. Um, and you know various different GUI programs, but I use the command line where it makes sense, and I you know I use it for my for my email, for my file management, for my uh, you know searching for data and and doing automation operations, um, and if I need to do like batch operations on images or sound or or documents, um, and then you know a variety of network operations that you can do. So if you want to uh, check your network connectivity or, or connect to a remote server securely or or um, download a web page using curl or wget or, or something like that um, it's incredibly useful and used by developers you know and people who even don't maybe don't even consider themselves to be command line friendly or, or just into the command line they still end up using a lot of these programs uh, when they when they have to uh, because there's not there might not be a good alternative uh, for a procedure inside the GUI uh, for doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I started using command line because of Git. Right. You mean G-I-T? Yeah. Okay, yeah. What is G-E-T? There's actually a program called capital G-E-T, which is a front end to the uh, Perl HTTP library or... Um, for doing HTTP requests, so it, it functions like the the Git uh, procedure call in, in HTTP protocol. Yeah. Uh, and there's one there's a corresponding one for POST. Um, okay. But yeah, I just want to make sure that that's what you meant. You meant G I T. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what is so great about the command line? Well, like I was saying about uh, languages, you know, once you once you understand the language, uh, you're not limited or constricted by what another person's vision is for what you can do with your computer. Um, you know, it's you're 
your terminal window becomes a portal into the heart of your system that uh, lets you do what you want. Um, and everything, you know, in, in Unix, one of the one of the uh, mantras of, of Unix is that everything is a file. And that's true or not true, depending on what you're talking about as a file. But generally, everything can be treated like a file. Um, the If you've ever heard of Plan 9, um, Plan 9 is a, an operating system that they they made after they made Unix at Bell Labs. So they went on to make Plan 9, and they tried to extend that uh, philosophy of everything as a file. Okay. But so in inside Unix, everything is a file. And, um, you know, the, the idea is, is that programs are filters. So you can start your file stream with a program like cat or uh, sed or awk or grep. And then you can pipe the output of that into another program like another grep, a, you know, while loop. You can pr uh, pipe it into uh, any other program, basically. WC to count the words or lines. Uh, unique to, to search for different uh, unique lines or maybe into sort so you can sort the output and stuff like that. Um, and then you have, you know, uh, lots of different programs for working with different kinds of data. Like you have uh, image magic for working with image data, uh, converting between different image formats or making different modifications to images. Um, Socks, which is like a, they call it the Swiss army toolkit for sound. So you can do lots of different sound operations. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's, I mean, there's quite a bit that you can do. Um, I feel like even though I've been doing this for almost eight years now and I, I have almost 10,000 commands uh, that I, well, 10,000 tweets, maybe about half of them are unique. Um, and I still feel like there's there's quite a bit that I haven't explored, but I just haven't had the need to explore it. Um, so sometimes people post stuff, you know, they, they'll ask me a question and say, do you know how to do this? And it'll, it'll be interesting enough that I'll try to explore how to do it you know, it won't be something simple. It'll be something new. Um, and so I'll, I'll come up with some solution for them uh, and share it with the rest of uh, re the rest of the followers. Cool. So in Unix, with everything being a file, does that mean a directory is also a file? Uh, in a way. I mean, a directory is basically kind of like a file with an index of the different files. Um, I mean, in reality, it's, it's not really that way. But... Uh, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, a, um, in an abstract point of view, not, I mean, they both are, are um, they both have metadata on the actual file system, but I mean, um, yeah. Yeah. You, you can't really treat a, a directory like a file and cat out the directory and, and get a, a listing of the file contents or something like that. So, yeah, there are some exceptions to that idea. Um, but, I mean, when I say everything's a file, like, for instance, um you know, you can treat the output of a program like a file. You can you can treat a okay. device drive. You can treat a device like dev video. You know, which might be your webcam. It might be a TV tuner. You can treat that like a file. Um, you can treat dev random or dev zero or, or something like that like a file to get different uh, different data. And network you know network data can be treated like a file if you use a program like netcat or socat. Um, okay. Yeah, so even if the data is streaming in, you can still treat it like it's a file that's being written to. Right. And uh, Bash, so the Bash shell has, um, 
it even has an option where you can uh, there's a device dev TCP uh, I, sorry I need to look up the syntax real quick because okay. I don't use it very often um, yeah if you say slash dev slash TCP slash host slash port you can basically uh, write the output of a file to the network uh, using those special device names um, you can search for that in the man page and see how the syntax works for that um, and so that that you know if you don't have netcat or socat on your system you can still okay. uh, make use of that idea uh, directly from within bash so you focus your tweets on bash on linux right right so why why have you focused on that uh well first of all because it's uh it's what i use you know i mean i i guess it's kind of selfish to say but it's bash on linux is what i use but it also happens to be the most commonly used shell probably in modern usage i mean uh you also have fish and zsh and tcsh and ksh and and different shells and then you have powershell on windows uh, maybe you could say powershell is is the most uh, commonly used shell since it has the widest install base. Um, Mac systems, they come with Bash, uh, and you can install what you want. Uh, but it's what most people end up encountering when they, they delve into the command line, unless they've been introduced to it by uh, somebody else, maybe who was a, you know, an avid user of one of those air shells. Um, if they just start to say, you know, how to use the command line, they're probably going to encounter Bash first. Uh, or if they just download Linux or, or something, they're kind of probably going to uh, encounter Bash. If they download like uh, FreeBSD, then they encounter um, uh, CSH or TCSH or something probably first. Um, okay. But I, I call it like the lingua franca of shells because, you know, it's its features are very common with other shells. There are some features that it doesn't have in common, but uh, it's the one that if I if I post a command in, probably people will be able to translate to other shells, um, and you know you'll have to figure out how to do it in your shell if it doesn't work in your shell. Um, so, so can you can you explain the difference between a terminal emulator and a shell? <laughs> right. So uh, yeah, terminal emulator. It seems like kind of a, a weird idea, um, but it goes back to when we had, uh, uh, or when they had uh, terminals hooked up to large mainframes, and uh, they were just like dummy terminals that had a keyboard and a monitor and a um, input processor and an output processor, uh, and they didn't necessarily do the computation that you were doing on the terminal. They they sent the the text you were sending to the mainframe. And these these actually come from typewriters that they used to have hooked up to them. So they, they didn't even have a monitor necessarily hooked up to it. When uh, Ken and Dennis uh, wrote Unix, they were doing so through a typewriter, which seems <laughs> unimaginable uh, now, but uh, it was what it was. Um, so when, uh, you know, when microcomputers came along and we started having computers on our desk and in our homes, uh, people who wanted to be able to talk to these mainframes, uh, they would use what's called a terminal emulator. And that was basically, you know, a, a black window, you know, that you brought up and showed text in it. Uh, but the emulator part is based around the idea of emulating different term cap modes. So, you know, you've, you might have heard uh, of the term variable and you set that to different things like VT100 or Linux or screen or, 
or VT220. Um, you know, back in the 90s when I was connecting to the net for the first time, you'd have to change your term mode to different uh, VT100 or VT220, depending on what you're connecting to uh, or what system you were using. And um, so the emulation part doesn't refer to emulating the, the monitor. It refers to emulating the different term cap types. Um, so if you just type in like echo space dollar and then capital T-E-R-M, you'll see what your term uh, term cap type is. Yeah, so, uh, so mine is X-term dash 256 color. Right. There's a huge variety of them now, and a lot of them that you're going to encounter on Linux will be like um, X-term or RXVT or screen or, you know, um, or Linux, if you're in the console on Linux, like the not inside X Windows, but on the actual text console, you'd you'd see uh, term equals Linux. Um, and if you try to set it to one of the other terminal types, uh, you might end up with some weird characters sometimes, hmm. um, or the inability to do certain things like page up and page down, mm -hmm. or or something like that. Um, or you know maybe you won't be able to display Unicode characters. So this is what the emulation part of a terminal emulator does. And so basically you 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 download a program or run a program like Xterm or RxVT or Iterm or um, Putty. You know Putty is a terminal emulator and SSH client all in one. Okay. And Telnet client all in one. So it kind of does a lot of different things. Um, and I, I use URXVT, which is the Unicode RXVT. Um, I used to use GNOME Terminal until I discovered one day that uh, GNOME Terminal was actually writing all the data that was in the scrollback buffer to disk. Um, this was back in 2012. I, for, interestingly enough, it was a command. It was a CLI Magic command I was posting, uh, basically. Uh, checking the output of LSOF, which is a list open file handles. So it basically shows on your computer what files uh, each program has open. And um, it was a way to see which ones were deleted. And so I noticed that the, uh, the GNOME terminal was actually, it's actually I was using XFCE4 terminal. But anyways, it's, it's based on GNOME terminal. It uses a library called libvte. So the terminal was opening up uh, a file inside the slash temp uh, directory and then immediately unlinking that file. Hmm. And it would keep the file handle open. And it was a way of writing the, the data. When I say scroll back buffer, I mean like if you use your mouse wheel to scroll up or if you use the scroll bar on your terminal emulator mm -hmm. to scroll up, yeah. up, you'll see like what you've seen before. So it would be writing this data out to this file and onto your hard drive. And then when you would close the window, it would, um, the file handle would go away. But there's, because you can still read the data on the disk, there were ways of recovering the data that, were, um, that it had written out to the file. And I made, a, you know, I made a, a video that demonstrates this and explains why it's a really bad thing. Um, it basically hadn't been done before in Unix that I was aware of, and it kind of violated a trust that uh, Unix users had in the terminal emulator developers that they wouldn't be writing out the data to the disk, and that you know the data that was in your terminal would never end up on the disk; it would only be in memory. Uh, of course, you know if you're swapping your memory out to disk, it would end up on disk. But that was something that people were aware of. Um, hmm. 
Yeah, I wonder if it so still does that because I'm using GNOME Terminal right now. They uh, in recent versions they it did this for from like 2009 until about 2014, I think. I think it's when they they changed it so that uh, what it does is it starts writing the data with an encrypted key uh, or with a key to encrypt it on the disk. So you end up with data that's encrypted on the disk, but still writes it to the disk, um, which is better. But, you know, what if I, I guess eventually you might be able to crack the, the key, you know, given like 20 years or something like that. Uh, I mean, that's probably not, you know, important to people at that point. Once it's being encrypted, it's fine. Um, but it was the fact that they had made this change and they didn't really warn anybody about it. And so there, for several years there, there was a lot of potentially sensitive data being written to the disk. Yeah. Um, and in ways that people didn't necessarily understand, you know, people might be setting up uh, Linux systems or, or whatever to uh, take data about uh, medical information for people. And, and so they, you know, they think that it's safe because somebody's connecting to a remote system, but me all the all the while, you know, your terminal emulator was actually writing the data also to the local disk, and um, and it might be able to be recovered uh, in some way. So yeah, okay, so that's a terminal emulator, and then the right. shell is what? So the shell is actually the interpreter. Uh, it's the command that the terminal emulator usually runs when you start it. So a terminal emulator could run any command. By default, it's going to run uh, the shell that you have configured for your user. Um, you know, in my case, it's Bash. So when I run the when I run urxvt, it starts up the terminal emulator, then starts up Bash, and then Bash sits there and gives me the prompt. You know, like the dollar sign or something with my username and maybe the directory that I'm in. And then it waits for me to type in something. So I type in a command, and when when I hit enter, the shell takes the command I typed in and figures out what to do with it. So either it's going to be a, a command that's on the file system, or it's going to be some keywords like a, you know for a while loop or or something like that. Um, or I typed in help or echo or you know something like that. Or it's going to have to reference its um, environment variables, you know, like the like that term variable I was talking about, that's an environment variable. So the shell keeps track of those environment variables, the commands, it uh, keeps, you know, it knows where to, to look for the command on the file system and so on. Cool. And um, uh, I, I guess one of those environment variables is path, right? Right. Yeah, that's that's a one that people encounter early uh, in their Unix uses often. So um, although maybe not anymore, but it was when I started learning. Um, so path, you know, is, is a list of directories that your shell is going to look through when you type in just the name of the command without giving it the entire path to it on the file system. So, you know, if I type in ls, it's going to look for the ls, uh, file inside every directory that's listed in the path. Uh, so, you know, it would end up finding it in slash bin, but it could also be in slash usr slash bin, uh, you know, or whatever you have in your path. You know, you can add things to your path, like maybe uh, slash home slash username slash bin or, or um, user local bin or something like that, um, or slash opt. You know, sometimes you end up installing programs in the opt directory. Hmm. Yeah, so, so how, how do you know which, which uh, path it's, it's using whenever you run a command? 
Uh, well, you can use the which command. There's actually a W-H-I-C-H um, command that if you type in which space and then the name of the command, it'll show you the one that it's going to pick. Um, and if you do that for uh, like a, um, a shell built-in, it's going to say, it's just going to give you nothing. And then if you uh, use the type command, so T-Y-P-E, at least this is in bash, uh, the type command, um, and you type in like ls, it'll tell you whether it's aliased or um, is pointing to slash, you know, bin slash uh, ls, or if it's a shell built-in, it'll say like, you know, ls is a shell built-in. Uh, ls isn't a shell built-in, but like the echo command is a shell built-in. So which and type are two different ways of figuring out what it's going to look up. And I don't know, is there a way to find out if a uh, command is in multiple spots? Uh, there's also a where is. So if you type in like uh, where is ls, it's going to say ls is at slash bin slash ls. And it's also at slash usr share man man one ls dot one uh, maybe dot gz yeah. depending on what you're doing. So uh, yeah, you would ask me for examples, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I can't think of a good one, which would be in multiple places right now. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know why a command would be in multiple places, but I guess you could you could accidentally clobber one of those commands yourself, especially if you got your path in the wrong order. Right, exactly. If you created, if you overloaded a command, uh, overloading in the sense of programming, like um, you know having the same name for two two different things, so uh, you know you could have your own version of ls that is um, maybe in your home bin directory, but it's also in slash bin. Maybe you also have one that's in usr local bin. So yeah, that would show you where it is would show you the you know all the different place where places where it is. And sometimes, you know, you might find that uh, you're running a command and it seems weird, you know, the output that you're getting from it or the or what it's doing, and you're wondering why. And so you might run where is and then the command name to see if you're actually getting the one that you think it is. Uh, it could even be that somebody has put a uh, some malware on your system and you're running some malicious command. I just thought of something that would be very useful for web programmers. Um, so one one common situation to run into when you're uh, doing web programming is you might have different, say, PHP interpreters. So you might need to look up where is the PHP interpreter that I'm using, uh, and you might find that you've installed multiple versions. So that's another um, another way that you could use where is. Uh, I've encountered that several times where I end up having multiple different versions of Perl or PHP or Python or, or whatnot um, installed. And I want you know I wasn't using the one I thought I was using. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are what are some other special variables besides path? So some other variables. Uh, let me see. Uh, well, there's the there's the TZ variable, which is uh, time zone data. So that's going to tell you what time zone you're set in, and if you want to um, set it to a different time zone. Um, you can, you know, do TZ equals uh, Asia slash Tokyo or, or give it the specific, uh, you know, UTC time zone format that uh, that you need. Is that capital um, T, capital Z? Yeah, capital T, capital Z. Yeah, it's pretty much all the environment variables are going to have capital letters. Yeah. 
Uh, so a lot of the I, I the, tried the echoing, um, you know, echo dollar sign TZ, and I've got nothing. Well, I mean, some of them aren't actually set, but if you set them to something, so if you type in like oh, TZ okay. equals Asia, and with a capital A for in Asia, and then Tokyo, you know, with their uh, proper capitalization, and then space and date, it'll give you the the time, the current time in Tokyo, uh, the time and date. So that can be useful. Uh, Another one on the file system that's useful is uh, old PWD. So PWD means uh, uh, present working directory or print working directory, depending on how you're you're talking about it. Uh, old PWD stores the last directory you were in. So if you are in a directory and then you CD to another directory and you want to say move some files from that directory to the directory you were in, you can uh, type in like move space star uh, to get all the files in that directory, or maybe star dot um, PHP uh, space, and then dollar old PWD slash, and that'll move everything that's like a PHP file into the old uh, into the directory you were previously in. That's referenced by old PWD. Is that the same thing as um, when you do CD space dash? and it will move you into the last directory you're in? Yeah, so I suppose CD space dash is actually utilizing the old PWD variable. I don't know whether, I've never tried to, let me see, old PWD. Oh, yeah, it is. So if you type in actually old, if you set old PWD to something, and then you type in CD space dash, it'll actually take you to what you set it to, even if you weren't there before. Okay, nice. I've never actually tried that. So <laughs> um, so yes, that proves that it's actually using the old PWD variable. Um, so see, we did a little CLI magic on this uh, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what, are, what are some of your top uh, tips that are just easy to say out loud on a podcast? Because I know some of them would be too hard to say out loud. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, some of the top ones are maybe jokes that I've made or, or something like that. Maybe some of them are inappropriate jokes. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll save those. You can search for those. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, the ones that are like the most retweeted or something aren't commands or all, at all. They're maybe just inspiring uh, anecdotes or something that I sent out. Like, uh, you know, uh, Grace Hopper uh, is somebody who is looked up to a lot by everybody in the computer science industry and, and in the world really uh, for uh, making the first compiler and um, making the COBOL programming language. Uh, you know, at a time when people said that it was impossible to make a, a programming language compiler, um, hmm. but she, she didn't let that stop her. It's amazing. But uh, so the, the interesting thing, you know, is that a lot of people think that computer science and technology is a game for the young, but she actually got started when she was 37. You know, she uh, enlisted in the army when she was 37, and then she went on to uh, develop these things later in her life. So, you know, for a lot of people who are, you know, getting up there in the years, I'm getting up there in the years, it's inspiring to hear that, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are, you can just put your mind to it and don't let anybody stop you, and you, you can accomplish a lot. Uh, so, you know, that was a top one. A lot of the ones that are based around keystrokes are really popular. Um, you know, like some uh, 
you know, control R is a, is a keystroke you can press uh, to search backwards for a command. Uh, so if you press control R and you start typing in letters, you're going to, like if you type in LS or RM or, or maybe a word or something or a file name, you're going to be searching back through your command line history for, um, for what you're typing in. And you can press Control R repeatedly to continue going backwards in your through your history. So this is um, uh, this is if you're using GNU Readline, right? Using Emacs mode. Yes, that's correct. Thank you for for pointing that out. So uh, not only am I using Bash on Linux, but I'm also using Emacs Readline mode uh, within Bash. You can also use VI uh, mode, but I. I don't know. I've gotten used to Emacs, even though I'm a VI user. Um, so it's just I don't know. I find it easier, and I've I've never been able to get used to using VI mode in the in the shell for some reason. Yeah, I was the same um, way for a long time. I'm a, I'm a Vim user, and I learned all the Emacs shortcuts for Readline. But uh, I've recently mm-hmm. switched over to it, and it's it is interesting how you can hit V and then go open up Vim to completely edit your command inside of Vim. Right. You can also do that in, uh, in Emacs mode. There's a, well, f- there's a command called FC, which will let you open up uh, your favorite editor and edit the command that you're running. Uh, and then there's also... How do you, how do, you do that? A, uh, so basically, if you run a command, uh, then if you type in the FC command... It'll actually uh, edit the last. Uh, oh, okay. I wonder if there's a way to just edit the current command you're typing. So let me see. The keystroke for that is Control X, Control E is edit and execute a command. So, I mean, there's a way to do it in the Emacs mode as well. And then uh, other keystrokes, you know, it's like uh, Control A to go to the beginning of the line, Control E to go to the end. Uh, Control W will erase the previous word, and Control U will clear the line um, so from wherever you are in the the line to the beginning. Uh, some people point out that you know you can also use uh, Home and End and um, to go to the beginning and the ending of the line, but not every distribution is set up to do that. Uh, not every, you know, some of the distributions have put that in by default, but not yeah. all of them. So that's Plus you have, to, still you have to move your hand so far for that. <laughs> yeah, you have to move your hand so far. And on some keyboards, it might be tricky to actually press home and end. So like on laptops, um, and also page up and page down can be difficult to uh, press sometimes. Um, and then uh, one that I use frequently is uh, the meta key, which uh, meta basically refers to either pressing escape or the alt key. I'll explain that in a second. So you press like, um, let's say you press alt and then uh, the period, it'll insert the, the last argument that was on the last command that you ran. Um, so if you were to like, um, if you were to edit something, you know, in your favorite editor. And then uh, right after you exit, you could run RM and then hit uh, alt dot and it'll insert the name of that file, you know, after uh, after the RM command. Nice. And then you can choose to run it or not. And then if you hit alt dot multiple times, you're going to go 
backwards even even more arguments back through each command in your history. Um, so that's a quick way to pull you know arguments from your history uh, to do other operations on them. Um, yeah, the the meta is kind of a it's a historical thing. There used to be an actual meta key on keyboards, and uh, the way they emulate that in newer keyboards is to uh, use um, the alt key or escape. And it's basically what it sends is the escape character followed by whatever you press. So, you know, it sends an escape character followed by the dot. Uh, when you press it with the alt key, it does that in one go, in one sequence. When you do it with escape, you're actually pressing the escape to get the escape key, and then you're pressing the dot. So it's like two different operations instead of one. Okay. So it's just that's why you see both keys referenced. Well, um, looks like unfortunately we're running out of time. <laughs> we could. <laughs> I can ramp. We on. could talk about yeah. this for hours. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but anyway, is is yeah. there is there anything else you'd really like to add? Uh. Well, basically, just try, you know, if you if you follow the Twitter feed and, and you see something that you don't understand, try to break it down into its little sections, you know, look in between each of the pipes or in between each of the uh, greater than signs or each of the semicolons and just run man and then the command name or run help and then the command name and try to figure out what each each section does because you don't want to look at it like a picture you know it's it's not like something you you take as the whole you have to look at the individual pieces and they make up the whole so yeah yeah and then you can look at each flag and see what it does right right and maybe just pick a different command each day and and try to to learn what it does and Eventually, you know, after a few months, you'll actually be quite adept at, at using the command line, uh, and you'll be able to control your system a lot better. Yeah, I than think you like to. when you don't know command line very well, you don't you don't really know what's possible or what you would even use it for. But once you start learning it, then there's so many things you can use it for. Right, and a lot of people are discovering that. You know, I have over. I never thought that I'd have more than five thousand followers but now i have over a hundred thousand a hundred and almost a hundred forty thousand and i don't even think i've even reached everybody that you know is on twitter or even in the world that uses a command line by far so it's because it's still popular it's still uh widely used and and i encourage you to check it out yeah okay thank you so much for coming on the show thanks Oh, by the way, I wanted to tell you that uh, I record my podcast now using the command line. <laughs> That's awesome.